Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA, another Thursday morning of hockey, and still waiting for the official word on whether or not there's going to be a season. Of course, we're recording this in, in advance, so it's possible that within the next 48, 48 hours or so, we'll get an update. But that being said, this week, it's a little different. I'm joined by Evan Marinovsky, who is currently a writer for Daily Collegian, covers UMass hockey during the fall and winter. And during that time, usually he's also covering the Boston Bruins for CLNS Media. I'm sure a lot of people who are listening are definitely aware of that. So if you haven't checked out uh, Evan at all, Evan, what's your Twitter again? I'm, it's just it's just at E. Marinovsky. Yeah. yeah. So it's if, just Evan Marinovsky. Once, once you see it, if you follow Bruins hockey, you probably recognize him. But uh, Evan, thanks for coming on. I definitely appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I was so excited when you texted me uh, to talk UMass hockey. I was like, I'd love to talk something a little bit different. The other funny thing is usually we're doing these or would want to do these in the, the campus basement and yep. the, the nice studio you guys have. And it's always fun to do that. Um, and I would kill, I remember back in the day, like last year to invite us on and it'd be like, well, I got to fit it in between this, this class and this class. It's going to be tough. We only have 15 minutes. You know what I would do to have those times yeah. back, oh, Colin? Yeah. You know what I would do to have those problems again? You don't realize yeah. you're in the good old days until you're out of them. Yep, yeah, yeah. And, and, and funny enough, we actually got back in the studio. I didn't, but Cam Seibert and Jesse Kalodkin were able to broadcast the uh, UMass football game remotely. So it was good for them to get back to the studio. I'm looking forward to getting back in the studio as well. But, yeah, they got to get you back in there. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, about, I'm looking forward to getting back above Press Row at Mullen Center. I'm sure everybody is, too, all, all the media here at UMass. Of course, the fans, of course, they want to get back at Mullen Center. This edition of UMass Hockey Hour is brought to you by Hot Table Panini. Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley, has been serving Pioneer Valley since 2007. Customers can try out their new Cranberry Turkey Club, Pumpkin Bisque, or Harvest Salad for a limited time only. Along with the Hadley location, Hot Table has seven other stores, including two Springfield locations and two locations in Connecticut as well. Table is, Hot Table is open from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Saturday, and looks forward to continuing their service, the Amherst community, with special specialty paninis hot off the press. More information is available at hottable.com. So let's get right into it, Evan. Uh, it's been a, an interesting offseason for UMass in that it's been extra long. We haven't had any hockey at all for UMass since the middle of March when they were supposed to play Northeastern in the Hockey East quarterfinals. That series never took place. It was that fateful week in March where all sports just it was a mass exodus and we didn't see sports for a while but now rumors are around November 20th is currently the uh, start date that's been talked about a lot there have been announcements from both the Big Ten the uh, NCHC as well as the Atlantic Conference as to as how they're going to move forward the Atlantic and Big Ten both starting November 13th with the NCHC doing some sort of hybrid where they do they uh, put their teams into different pods and end up playing each other. So that's an, an, an interesting concept. But as far as UMass goes, John Butchergrass tweeted recently that there was, that they were back practicing and on the ice for the last few weeks. We haven't really heard any updates about that. So it was good to hear that they're actually practicing on the ice. Do you really expect that this long layoff will show some rust, not only for UMass, but all teams throughout college hockey? Oh, yes. By the way, before we get into UMass hockey, hot table is the best. Love hot. Uh, it's literally my favorite place to eat in Amherst. So I'm glad that, that you read that. It got me really hungry for maybe some hot table. But um, yeah, I, I think everyone's going to show rust. Uh, you know, they can practice all they want. 
you can't do scrimmages. You can't have normal games. Nothing's normal. Um, their off-season training was probably not normal. Uh, the gyms they were working out at were probably different than you know they normally do. Their off-season workout routines were different. So at least that's my guess. I would imagine it was probably different just knowing that a lot of gyms around the country weren't open and rinks weren't open. And you know, you'd have to have like backdoor alleyways into rinks to use them. So I do think everyone's going to have rust. Um, I don't know who that benefits though. Like to me, you know, I guess it benefits veteran teams a little more because usually in the, you know, in, in the NHL or any other hockey league, the veterans are the older guys who, you know, they're going to show rust easier, but in college hockey, you want people who are just more experienced. And I think that for these veteran guys, for teams that have a good amount of older guys, they might be better just because of the experiences they've had in college hockey, whereas teams that are freshman heavy, those are kids that are walking into a situation they don't even, they, they weren't prepared for anyways. And now they're going into a COVID-19 world. So um, I don't, I think everyone's going to be rusty. I think you're going to see some really, not so great hockey at the beginning. <laughs> I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, choppy passes and, you know, those breakouts aren't going to be so clean, but I think, I, I think we all just want hockey back. Um, and I, and it's tough because in these times, as you mentioned, you know, different leagues doing different things, obviously the, everyone wants to use bubbles and that's, you know, that works for posts that work in the NHL, it worked in the NBA, you know, flaw, pretty much flawlessly when it comes to COVID-19, but it's the other aspects of it. It's mental health aspects of it. It's, it's just like your overall wellness. Um, I, you know, I don't think it would be very fun to be in a bubble for even two weeks, let alone an entire season or portions of a season uh, where you're living out a hotel room and you can't go to places and you're just basically living and breathing hockey. I mean, you read the stories that came out of the NHL bubble stories that came out of the NBA bubble and it's a lot of, you know, yeah, there was no COVID-19, but it was boring as hell and it was not fun and it took a toll on me mentally. So um, I think they're going to weigh that. I don't know. I, I have not broken out my own plan of how I would do it. I, I think, you know, you have to think you'd probably do portions of the season. You could do, you know, just play hockey East teams. I mean, you just, the NFL kind of is showing the model right now for a league that isn't doing bubbles it's kind of doing business as usual where, you know, if a team has COVID, you cancel the game and you reschedule it. And maybe that's the way to do it. Uh, you know, and, and, and look, I'm no expert on COVID-19. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm a doctor. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the numbers in young people are lower. The Northeast, I think right now is relatively good to other parts of the right. country. And it is hockey East. This is it's like we're playing in you know, Midwest right now, which is experiencing a rise in numbers. And again, we'll have to see what happens with the winter, but, I mean, a lot of me does think that the Northeast is relatively okay. And, uh, you know, these are young guys who want to play. Maybe don't do fans. As the season goes on, if it gets better, fill it at 15% capacity, whatnot, and, and go from there. So um, I think for everyone's sake, I'm glad that I'm not the one doing this. I'm glad yeah. I don't have to be tasked with such a big decision. So it's going to be interesting whenever it happens. And not only that, you mentioned you're not you're glad you're not tasked with decision. This is Steve Metcalf, who was in his first year as hockey East commissioner. I know it, it, the, the other hockey East commissioner got out at the right time. Yeah, and and, and to, to his credit, from it sounds like they've had a plan and they've been working towards it for the last several months. So I think he's doing as good of a job as you can do in a situation like this, where you don't know what's coming after you. Another advantage that hockey East has uh, 
going for them compared to the Midwest is the lack of their lack of distance between schools. I mean, the biggest travel I believe is uh, either Providence or Yukon all the way up to Orono uh, up in Maine, which is probably about six hours, but that's a tough trip for pretty much everybody. And God bless the black bears that have to go, go on yes. the road every time. Every, <laughs> every, every single trip for them is a long one. Uh, but six of the teams are in Massachusetts alone. So, you know, those six teams are within a couple hours of each other. UMass is probably uh, one of the most ideal places you can be outside of maybe Worcester. If you, if they moved a little like an hour West, that'd probably be the, the geographic center of new England, but their travel time isn't too terrible. Uh, all things considered. So at least they do have the travel portion going, whereas they don't have to book flights for every single game like the Big Ten or the NCHC might have to do. Let's take a look towards the UMass roster specifically now. Uh, they lost their top two scorers in Mitchell Chafee and John Leonard, two professional contracts, Chafee signing with the Wild, Leonard signing with the San Jose Sharks, and John Leonard immediately becoming a top five prospect for the Sharks, it seems like, the way that I know. farm system looks. But um, – they, they did lose their top two scores, and there's a lot of question marks about the offense after that. Who do you expect to kind of step up and, and, and be one of those top scores this year? Because we know it's going to be someone new because it has to be. But do you expect it to be a guy like Matt Kessel, even defenseman, who put up seven goals last year? Do you think Bobby Trevino's role becomes elevated? Who do you think is a, a candidate to be a, you know, a 15 or 20 goal scorer for this team? Well, it's funny you mentioned this because last offseason, going into the season, it was they didn't lose many forwards, but they lost their top two defensemen who were elite in the defensive zone and elite in the offensive zone and, and Mario Ferraro and Kale McCarr. This year, you have a totally different thing, as you said. You, have, you're, you lost, I believe, four of your top six forwards because you lost Chafee, uh, Leonard, you lost uh, Jack Suter, yep. and am I, am I, I think I'm missing the fourth. Or it might have just been three. Um, uh, I mean, Hilton Brand's a, a top nine, but yeah, all right. So it was still, only three and six. Still, still a big loss because he, he, Consid- he put up a good amount of goals last year. Yeah, so you lo- lost a considerable amount of your top six and your top nine. With if you want to include Nico in there, um, to me, the guy who has to step up and I think will is Cal Kafuke. Uh We saw signs of it last year. He's quick. He's shifty. He's got a good shot. Um, solid in the offensive zone. I think he's someone who absolutely they're going to probably count on this year to step up. And I do see stepping up. You know, you mentioned guys like Trevino, Oliver Chow. I think those guys, you know, I think they want to see more goal scoring out of Chow for sure. I think someone like Trevino is just going to consistently continue to put up the numbers that he's been putting up. I don't think you're going to see Trevino hit the 15 goals or 20 goal mark. Um, You know, I think he's just a consistent offensive producer. Uh, And so for me, I mean, I think it's Cal Kafuk. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I'm an expert on these freshmen because it is so hard to figure out who's going to work. I mean, you look at Anthony Del Gaizo. I mean, he was this 50-goal scorer in the USHL, and everyone thinks, oh, my God, he's going to be the same in, in Hockey East, and he came, and he really has struggled to find his place. So it is so hard to kind of figure out what the deal is with a lot of these freshmen. So it's going to be someone random. I mean, look at Matt Kessel last year. Matt Kessel yeah. was their last recruit. I mean, he was basically a last-second guy that they picked up, and he just got drafted. And he was, you know, scored for them a bunch last year on the back end, had seven goals, as you said. So to me, I look at it and I just think, you know, I, just by chance, one or two freshmen are going to step up. And Cal Kafuk, I think, is going to be good. So I think if you can get those guys going, if you can, you know, find a few diamonds in the rough when it comes to the freshmen, uh, and you can get Cal Kafuk going 
and you get consistent production out of Trevino and, uh, and, and, and Jake Odette scores more this year. I think he's another one. Now he's the captain. I think he absolutely could start to produce more. So I think other guys just have to step up. We saw it with on defense last year. I mean, you know, you think, oh my God, they lost Kale Mario. What are they going to do now? And it's like, guys, step up. Guys mature. I mean, all these guys are still developing as hockey players. So it's not like, you know, they all should be taking steps forward. So, you know, last year we saw Ty Farmer step up on D. We saw Zach Jones. Another one, you mentioned defense, and I just mentioned him, Zach Jones. You know, I think he was, he was already really solid last year. Good uh, power play quarterback for them. Good on, good on offense. You know, you saw Kale had a, a, a good freshman year, but not anything crazy. Right. Yep. And sophomore year is that crazy year. Now, I, am I, do I think Zach Jones has a sophomore year like Kale McCarr? Probably not. But I do think he takes a huge step forward. I think it's expected that he does that. So they'll be scoring in other places. Uh, I just you don't have the firepower of a John Leonard, you know, busting past two defenders, or you don't have Mitchell Chafee like you know barreling his way to the net. So it's just it's just different ways of scoring. And you mentioned Zach Jones, who last year had three goals and twenty assists. The goal scoring numbers weren't really there. But he made some huge plays at the blue line, and it was his passing that was certainly on display. I think I, I don't think it's crazy to say that he had a better year passing the puck than Kale did his freshman year. Kale had yes, 16 right. assists, but it's just the, the IQ that Jones has in the offensive end is something to behold. And another defenseman that hasn't been mentioned yet is Mark Del Gaizo, a guy who missed a lot of last year due to different injuries. I think he came into the season with a high ankle sprain. He ends up making his debut at the end of October against AIC only to injure his ankle once again. So it's a guy who never really got started. Once we got to the end of the season, though, he started to pick things up. He had a two-goal game at the Mullen Center, I think, in February and started to look like the Mark Delgaiso we saw his freshman year. So I think a clean slate for Delgaiso, plenty of time to get 100% is going to be a difference maker for the Minutemen, not just in the back end, which is where we know they're already solid. They were one of the better defensive teams in the league last year coupled with two of the top 10 goaltenders in the entire country last year in Matt Murray and Philip Lindbergh. I think they were both in the top dozen or so in goals against average. So, of course, some of it has to do with the great defensive play, but they're both pretty spectacular goaltenders themselves. So, uh, sorry, I didn't... I do, I, I do wonder, though, with this team, you know, I do wonder if they become more defensive-oriented. I mean, they're obviously a good defensive team as is, and they were last year, but you look at the strength of the lineup, as you mentioned, it is that that back end and it is in net i mean you still have the goalie tandem you know your top 4d mark del Gaizo, matt kessel ty farmer zach jones like that is a great top four you also have colin felix who was in and out of there last year who's a really solid defensive defenseman i wonder how much of a step forward he takes this year uh you have cassaro who you know is a solid 6d uh you lost mclaughlin which is tough uh but i do think that you know you do have Felix back there is still a defensive defenseman. So I look at that back end and I think, damn, like that is a good, yep. good core on defense. And none, and they're all relatively young. Jones, sophomore, Kessel, sophomore, uh, MDG and Ty Farmer are both juniors. So 
I look at that and I think, you know, I do wonder if they, you know, they, they place more of an emphasis on offense from the back end, you know, and you have, and you just have a, a more fluid offense coming from the back end rather than these end to end rushes from John Leonard and, and Mitchell Chafee. So uh, that should certainly be interesting. And I, I'm excited to sort of see how that back end plays out. Yeah. We'll see if Co- uh, coach Carville goes the coach O'Ryan route in D three, the mighty ducks where they you want him to play a little more defensive minded instead of offensively. Uh, yes. It, they can certainly they, they would benefit from that with the guys that they have all that experience. And the important thing too, is none of these guys are graduating that they have on defense. It's only flight risks and maybe a transfer that could stop them from sending the same defensive core from this year into next year where things might And be- we forgot about Colby Vergara. Yep. How could we forget Colby Vergara? Right. Huge part. Remember that uh, the time he, they, I think they moved him. Was, was it a, it was a game in like December, I believe. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm blanking. But it it, it might've like, been even later than that. Cause everyone was banged up at that point at the end, going into the playoffs. I think it could have been one of those February games at home against either UConn or, uh, or against UMass Lowell, but yeah, they, they put him up. On- it was March. It was March. It was March 4th. Uh, and, um, Oh, so that was, was the last March game 4th. of the year against Vermont. Oh yeah. Because, well, they just got Chafee back and they were missing everyone else. Cause, uh, Davidson was hurt. I think. They just lost Mika for the year. Uh, Fuke is gone for the year because of the broken jaw. Yep. So they, they were really hurting for guys uh, at the forward position. He came in and did a hell of a job on the wing. He was a, he was a third line forward. And yep. I, I, that might not have been the exact date. It might have been the week that that happened. And I, it was an end of, you're right, it was an end of season game that he stepped in. He made a big couple of hits, almost score a goal. It was like, I remember. It, at practice availability that week, it was everyone was asking for Kobe Vergara. It was so it was just like, oh my god! Like imagine this like two weeks ago. But yes, Kobe Vergara as well. Can't forget him. All right, uh, we're, we're going to take a quick break here. But when we come back, we'll talk maybe a little bit more about UMass hockey as well as NHL free agency. A lot of people are calling for Don Sweeney's head for the lack of moves that the Bruins have made outside of uh, Craig Smith this off season. But we'll get into that a little bit more as well as other big names throughout the league and where they might end up or where they've already ended up. So all that and more on the UMass Hockey Hour right here on 91.1 WMUA. Hot Table Panini, located on Route 9 in Hadley, is just a few miles away from the UMass campus. Hot Table specializes in a variety of grilled panini sandwiches and also offers a selection of soups and salads. For over a decade, Hot Table has been serving paninis for customers all across the Pioneer Valley. Customers can order in-store or by using the Hot Table app to order for delivery. Their menu, store locations, and phone number can be found at hottable.com. Worried that COVID-19 might change the bar scene of Amherst? Well, even though COVID-19 has presented its challenges, the Spoke is here to stay in Amherst. Once state guidelines allow it, the Spoke will reopen its doors to the public with an even bigger space than before. Having added a new office space to the bar, the Spoke is now 5,500 square feet with more dance floor space for all. They offer local brews and customers can check out the new renovations made to the nightclub. Above all, the Spoke cannot wait to get back to doing what they love, serving the community of Amherst. They look forward to reopening and serving you all in the near future. And welcome back to the UMass Hockey Hour. Colin Casey joined by the Daily Collegians, Evan Marinovsky. First time coming on the show. Appreciate you again coming on. Uh, well, of course. It's, uh, it's, been, it's been tough to talk about what seems like the same stuff over and over again the last few weeks because we're still waiting to get the official word on Hockey East and what that plan is going to be. We haven't really 
there's been any media at all whatsoever. So uh, not a whole lot of news to break, but there's still plenty of stuff to talk about, including how this UMass team looks compared to the rest of the conference going into this 2020-2021 season. If you remember last year, the Minutemen finished second to Boston College in the standings last year in the regular season standings. There was no conference tournament due to COVID-19. BC looked real legit last year. They looked like a team that could probably make it at the very least to the, uh, to the regional finals in the NCAA tournament. I think they were at least a top eight team in the country, probably even top four, but you never know what can happen in the NCAA tournament. So they come back this year. They did lose a couple of guys like David Cotton, um, Ben Finkelstein, a couple of those back-end guys, both Matala brothers. But they also bring back Alex Newhook, Matt Boldy, and Spencer Knight, three first-round draft picks that were very impressive last year. And they are once again looking like the class of Hockey East. What is it going to take, Evan, to to take down this BC team if you're UMass? I mean – I think it goes back to what we discussed in the first segment. I think that, you know, you look at a team like BC and you look at how offensively oriented they are, how good they are up front, especially in that top six. And what do you combat that with? What you can, you know, last year it was more combat that with a good forward line. This year, it really feels like, you know, you absolutely have to combat that with, you know, Mark Delgaiso and Matthew Kessel or Zach Jones and Ty Farmer, or Connor, you know, put Connor, uh, not Connor Felix, Colin Felix on whenever, uh, you know, Alex Newhook touches the ice, throw out Colin Felix or something along that line where you basically match up a defenseman to that player. Um, and I think that's what they're going to have to do. You don't have the firepower up front to match a team like BC. I don't think anybody really does, but UMass definitely doesn't. And that's, I mean, it's hard to top, you know, two first rounders in your top six uh, and Spencer Knight, another first rounder in net. So I think, you know, it's going to be defensive battles. Those are not going to be games. And I don't think that are going to be, you know, six to five or seven to four. It could be if UMass, you know, doesn't show up defensively, but I think those are going to be two to one grinded out games. Those are going to be games where, you know, BC outplays UMass, but UMass just kind of finds a way to grind out a win. Um, And that feels like that's what it's going to be when they face a team like BC. Now, um, where you know, I don't see UMass finishing ahead of BC. I don't think really anybody does, uh, but I do think that a team like uh, a team like UMass puts up a good fight. It just comes down to I think BC will do better in hockey East than than UMass will, and yeah, and that's B- really out of UMass's control. And the impressive thing about BC last year is they went two and one against UMass, but both of those wins came at the Mullen Center. That's not something that a lot of teams have done over the last few years is win at the Mullen Center. You can count the amount of wins opposing teams have in Amherst on, I think, maybe one hand, I think five in the last two years. It's funny to think about that. Like, I, I don't, you know, I love Mullins. And when it's packed, it's awesome. But last year, it didn't feel like it was super packed at a lot of the games. Um, and you wonder if there's, you know, if it's uncomfortable for other teams to play in, if it's, you know, what the aspect of it is that that makes it such a home ice advantage. Because it doesn't feel like a place with a huge home ice advantage, even though the stats obviously indicate there's a huge one. But um I wonder what it is with opposing players. I don't think anybody would ever say. Maybe it's kinda... the rink because, you know, 20, 200 by 85, That's the, true. the Olympic-sized rink, I guess, could be the difference maker. And, and it's something that Coach Greg Carvel's brought up many times is how important it is to have that open space and being used to that. It might be 
I think it's an easier adjustment to go from big to small rather than small. To yes. Big. So yes, that is true. I, I forgot about that. I'm thinking more like crowds and, and fans. It's funny. Jeremy Swayman was on um, my Bruins podcast this yep. summer and he was saying how uh, the UMass kids had some of the best chirps behind the net. <laughs> when he was there and he said it was, it was uh, very funny and he liked it a lot. Yeah. Every time I was in the booth, I'd be thinking like, you're going to be cheering for this guy in a couple of years. So maybe I know <laughs> give him a bit of the break. And he was the best goaltender in the country last year and was a Hobie Baker nominee, right? He was top three. Yeah, yeah he yeah, was. So, he so, was. So this is a guy that was one of the better goaltenders and he struggled against UMass. That was one of the tougher weekends he had December 6th and December 7th, where they, the, 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 I don't know if it was a crowd or they got behind the energy when Kale McCarr returned or what, but he had a he had a tough weekend there against UMass on an otherwise spectacular season from Swayman, who is now joined, obviously, as you mentioned, the Bruins and he's with Providence now. Um, but back to the back to Boston College, they they did lose a lot of depth at defense. They lost, as I mentioned, Finkelstein, Matala, a bunch of guys on that back end. They do also gain a guy like Eamon Powell, who was drafted, I think, third or fourth round this year and is a, is a really smart defenseman who can make some really good plays at the blue line. He's got some offense behind, it, behind him as well. But you also bring back Drew Hellison and Marshall Warren, who were also drafted last year, and two guys who played solid. They weren't, you know, they, they weren't as good as you know, Boldy and Newhook were in terms of how far along. That's expected when you're you – first rounders versus, you know, mid round picks. Uh, that being said, the minute men, if they can get that type of scoring, they might be able to take advantage of a weaker Boston college defensive team. So just a little bit of scoring is really what the minute men are going to need. Just someone who they can count on to get the big goals. It's, it's exactly what Leonard and Chafee did last year. There was a point where it seemed like they were the only ones scoring over like a 10 game stretch. It was that was hard. a long stretch. That yeah. It was just those two guys producing. Yep. I remember up in Vermont, the, I think they, they, I think it was only those two scored. And I think Kessel added a goal out of like nine goals that weekend. So, yep. uh, cause, uh, Leonard had the, uh, or Chafee had the hat trick that weekend. And Leonard, I think had a couple of multiple goal games or something like that. I was there for one of those games and it, it was just all Chafee and Leonard on the ice. And then Chafee goes down with an injury, so then it was all Leonard for a little while. So yeah, that, the, the depth is going to be super important, and we'll see if UMass can find that score, and whether it be from one of the freshmen like Lapina or McDonald or a guy that they already have like Kafuk, who I think is a really good candidate to be one of those guys to break out. It, it's funny. You mentioned Eamon Powell on the back end. You know, As you said, a really smart freshman, but he is only 165, and UMass does typically play a little bit of a heavier style of hockey, so I do wonder if the game plan of the kid like Powell is dump it in his corner and make that big hit you know, and just get it right in on the forecheck, and they just have a super hard forecheck and are very tight defensively against a team like BC. And I still think BC has better firepower, but I do wonder if a game plan of you know really hard forechecks and very you know tight in your defensive zone is sort of the way to go with a team like bc it definitely feels like that might be it barring there's games which there will be yeah. i hope uh, I I'm, I'm, I'm i'm confident as well and one thing we didn't even mention with bc is the fact that jerry york's their coach i mean that yes. that, that holds a lot of water jerry york being a yes five time ncaa champion four times at chestnut hill so and you have to wonder that this might be their best chance going forward because you know 
that Newhook, Boldy, and, and Spencer Knight probably aren't sticking around, especially if Bob Broski keeps playing the way he is in Florida. Then uh, after that or after that contract they gave him, we might be seeing Spencer Knight in, in, down in Florida with the Panthers sooner rather than later. So this yeah, that be- draft pick, that draft never made sense to me. I never understood why you draft Spencer Knight in the first round yeah. and then go sign Sergey Bobrovsky to a seven, seven. eight year, yes. hundred million, uh, eighty million dollar contract. Yeah. Uh, just a few days later. It never made any sense to me because it was just like, so what, like, what is the point? What are you doing in that? But that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. And I know it takes in the lifetime for a good, like hockey players in general, but especially goalies, they don't really hit their prime until later. It seems like than yes. positional players that they take time to develop. I mean, even it's pretty rare to see some of these goaltenders go in, in the, in their early twenties, Carey price being a big exception kind of, jumping out there and, and developing quickly. So we'll see what happens with, with Knight. I mean, he was spectacular last year with a goals against average below to a save percentage of 930. Probably a favorite for the Mike Richter Award this year uh, for oh, yeah. outstanding goaltender for BC. And it helps that he's going to have some good offensive firepower from him. So BC is clearly going to be the team to beat. Can UMass put up a fight? That's something that we'll have to see once – we see them on the ice if they can get that offense because we know the defense is going to be there for UMass. Uh, shifting now to the National Hockey League for the Boston Bruins, it's been a an interesting offseason, to say the very least. Of course, they, they're coming off a second-round loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning, the eventual Stanley Cup champions. They end up losing Tory Krug in free agency to the St. Louis Blues. I'm sure a lot of Bruins fans knew that the writing was on the wall, but it probably felt equally as painful that he went to the St. Louis Blues after that big hit that he laid on. Uh, I think it was, it was a Robert Thomas in game one. It was Robert Thomas in game one. Yeah, and they had a funny exchange on Twitter after he ended up signing, but I'm sure that that's going to be that's going to take a lot of time for Bruins fans to get used to to see him on a different team. Uh, they lose Krug. Um, they just lost Nordstrom to the Flames yesterday. Yes, season's over. You lost Joakim Nordstrom. There's no the Bruins are never recovering yep. from losing Joakim Nordstrom ever. That is you can't recover from that. Yeah. Um. But I think you mentioned the Krug thing. Krug was gone. Krug yep. was absolutely gone, and it was the writing was has been on the wall since probably February. I mean, because it, yeah. it was like it's been a slow, gradual. You know. You listen to what Krug says, you listen to what Sweeney says, there's no progress, Krug's annoyed, you know, I'm not thinking about it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I remember Krug's availabilities during the, during the lockdown, during the, when there was nothing going on, basically the shutdown, um, was consistently, you know, well, we haven't talked about it, or, oh, I'm just focusing on the playoffs. And it's like, oh, and then once you hear, like, it's, I know it's a business. When a player says, it's a, I understand that it's a business, mm. they're gone. You know the player's gone. That is it. And that was Krug. Uh, but again, the Blues... I mean, you, you, you look at what's come out since and the fact that, you know, the, the, um, the Bruins offered him six years, six and a half million per year last year and then rescinded it recently. Because I remember when, when Krug signed for 6.5 in St. Louis, I was like, wait a second, the Bruins offered that. Why would you pick St. Louis over Boston? I mean, they offered the same amount of money, just a year extra. And then it came out that obviously they rescinded the offer. So, yeah. you know, in his presser, he said that, he hadn't even considered St. Louis going into the day of first day of free agency, which is kind of crazy to think like, oh, you would make a huge decision like that, like off of a few hours of considering it. But they blew him away. He wants to win, and um, I think that I think it was the right move for the Bruins to kind of let Krug test the market. I don't know if it was the right move to just rescind the contract. That feels kind of 
stupid and, and not great um, and kind of disrespectful in a way. I, I get that it's a business, but it just feels a little disrespectful. Um, but again, I think Krug fits well in St. Louis. Um, I think they're a, a good, they have a good core there. I mean, they've technically won their Stanley cup in a yep. sense. Um, and you look here in Boston. I mean, I don't know. You don't really know how long the cup window is going to be open here. Oh yeah. Um, you know, the young core Pasternak, McAvoy, uh, DeBrusque ish, Carlo ish looks good, but that's not guaranteed. And I think that, I think the Bruins kind of noticed that and realized that if Krug was going to be here for six or seven years, that his money might not look great by the end if they are a rebuilding team. So yeah, it, um, n- yeah. nothing's guaranteed in the National Hockey League when it comes to no. Stanley Cups. I mean, <laughs> the president's tr- uh, trophy winner never wins Stanley Cups. Never so. wins it. That was the minute the Bruins won the President's yeah. Trophy and they ended the regular season. They were like, "Oh, Bruins are not the President's Trophy winner." I was like, "Oh, well, there goes the Stanley Cup." Yeah, I still can't get over that year they lost in fourteen to Montreal when they. That were- I think that's the most egregious. I think when you look back yeah. at the last decade. Um, that to me is almost worse than 2013. Yeah, um, I know the the, this, the two goals in 17 seconds obviously is tough, but that was against a dynasty Blackhawks. Yeah, team. and I keep mean, in mind, fact- game, game seven would have been on the road too. So there's again no yes. guarantee they would have even if they hung on and won that game. So yes, but the 2014, the loss to Montreal, that Montreal team. I mean, that was at the height of when Dale you used to Weiss. dive all over the ice. Yes, yes. And you just you, you think back to that and you're like, how did they how did they lose that? Now obviously Carey Price played out of his mind, but it's just like you look back and you go, that was the team. Yeah. That was the team. I mean, that team steamrolled. I mean, I think that team was so much better, or like at least during the regular season than this Bruins team was. At least yeah. that's what it felt like. They they got 30 um, goals from Jerome McGinley, who they just signed in the yes. offseason. I mean, they expected yes. him to contribute, but 30 goals from a guy in his late 30s. I mean, what more can you ask from him? They were stacked. That team was so good. And, and you look back and you think, how did you, how did you, and they would have played the Rangers in the conference final, which they, they beat them the year before. Yep. So, I mean, you know, obviously we can sit here and play this game with a lot of teams, but you're, I mean, you're right. I think the president's trophy is just a curse. Yeah, point. it is. It uh, is. Uh, g- going back though, to the blues, talking about the move for them, you said you uh, liked you know, the fit for him there with that young team. How did you feel about them going with, Krug in favor of Alex Petrangelo, who ended up signing with the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, it's funny. I think you know Petrangelo was going to command a lot more money. He ended up getting was it eight? It was eight point five million, I believe, per year. Yeah, I um, think so. And it was eight point five. Um, it, any other offseason, I think he would have gotten potentially ten. I think Krug would have gotten somewhere around eight. So I guess you, you take two million off for pretty much everybody. Um, but you look at. Petrangelo versus Krug. I think Petrangelo's game ages better just because he's more solid in his own zone. Um, and I think that, you know, he's not flashy on offense, but typically the defense, you know, the, the offensive skills leave the D more than the defensive zone skills do. So I think his game would have aged better, but I do think his money still would have looked tough for this. Yeah. I think St. Louis realized that, you know, four or five years into that deal, that, that money was not going to look great. Whereas someone like Krug, you get him at six or seven years, um, you know, let's say his game does kind of edge off a little bit towards the end or, you know, around like years five and six, it's not as great. Um, and the money doesn't look great. It's still a lot cheaper than what you would have had with Petrangelo. Um, and, you know, let's say Krug is putting up, you know, 25 points, you know, 22 points in year five or six, that's not great for 6.5 million, but, but it also, it, you know, it's way less money. And the other thing you have to consider is at some point, 
and I think the, fl- the cap is going to stay flat for the next two years at least. But you go to year five or six of that deal, let's say the cap is up around 85, 86, 88 million per season or f- for each team. The 6.5 million is not going to look expensive. Then the 8.5 million is going to look a lot yeah. more expensive for a guy like Petrangelo. So I think they made the right move. I mean, again, you, you have Colton Pareko on that right side. So um, it's not like you're void of, of big right shot defensemen. I mean, you have that with him. So um, are they as good or, you know, I, I don't know if that's an, I don't know if Krug's an upgrade, but offensively, I think it is close to an upgrade. So I think they made, I, I, I think they made a fine move and Vegas is just printing money and they're just, you know, they're in on every single big free agent or big person yeah. to trade for and they give them all huge contracts. So, you know, I think Petranslo is also a great fit in Vegas. So, you know, good for, him. Good, good for both of those guys for getting their money. And keep in mind too, another thing that I completely forgot about when I was looking at that Petrangelo deal, I'm like, oh, but I don't know why they'd want to get rid of Petrangelo, even if they're getting crew. They also got Scott Perunovich waiting in the wings, uh, the Hobie Baker award winner from a year ago. And he, was, he looked really good at Minnesota. Duluth won a couple of national championships there. So a guy with a winning pedigree that they're going to be gaining very soon. I don't think he'll be ready just right off the bat. I don't, I don't expect him to start the year with St. Louis, but I think he should be there by the end of 2020, 2021, whenever that season, of course, is going to start. I think it's honestly, it's the 2021 season. It's yeah, not, pretty like, much. It, if, if it's the, right now, it's pretty much it started. They're saying the start date is tentatively January 1st. So it's like, well, it's the 2021 season. It's not even the 2020, 2021 season. So I guess we're just going to go with that. A uh, couple of th- last couple of points I want to uh, talk about before we wrap up here. Uh, I, we, we got a little straight away from the Bruins, but the Craig Smith signing, a lot of people were a fan of it. I think people are more disappointed at it now just because it was their big signing so far. But taking that into account, how do you, how do you feel about the signing of Craig Smith? I love it. I mean, I think every, most people like it. I think that it was a, I think he, he could be one of the big steals of free agency just from a value perspective. I don't think he's putting up 40 goals, but I think, you know, when you look at his advanced analytics, he's in the, you know, for Corsi four percentage for, you know, uh, I believe expected goals percentage or expected goals for, I could be mixing up some advanced analytics, Uh, but he's, he's top 10, top 15 in pretty much all of them among the entire league. And that was on a uh, third or fourth line in Nashville where he wasn't even being used much in the offensive zone. So um, he's someone who has tremendous upside. You're getting him for 3.1 million per year. He's probably going to be Charlie Coyle's right wing. As we know from when Coyle was with Johansson, Coyle is at that third line is its best when you just leave it be, when you let it just kind of do its thing and, and have its own chemistry. And if you put a guy like, you know, if you put Bjork, Coyle and Craig Smith together or, or Stadnika, Coyle, and, and Smith together, you're going to have a really solid third line and come the play, playoffs, it's really important to have because now you have a total mismatch. So, you know, Cassie loves to match lines like crazy. So if you can get that third line against another team's fourth line, you have the advantage there. Um, and I think Craig Smith is a guy you can pencil in for, you know, 15, 17 goals, potentially 20. Um, and another thing I think people have to, you know, think about is he could, all, he's also going to be gunning for the right side of Krejci. Um, and they also, with Craig Smith being an established NHL veteran, you also can, you know, if the, if they continue to have secondary scoring troubles, which it's totally possible that that could happen because it doesn't seem like they're addressing the right side of Krejci. Right. You can, you can take Poshnok down from the first line, put him next to Krejci and DeBrusque and move Smith up. 
with with Bergeron and Marshawn because again I think any you know it's been proven that you put anybody with Bar- um with Marshawn and Bergeron they're probably going to do well now is he going to produce like Pasternak no but you're still going to get that production and I do think that Smith kind of can go anywhere along the right side of the top three lines. So for me, you're getting a great value signing in this. I think this, this was a guy that I, I would have liked to have seen it with a Tyler Toffoli or, you know, obviously with Taylor Hall, they would have had to work the money out. They would have probably had to trade DeBrusque, but you would have liked to have seen that. But um, just on an island on its own, I think the Craig Smith signing was great. And I'm, I'm, it's good they did it because I do think – it adds some depth and it's, it adds good value. And I, I think this is a deal that I think he's he reminds me a lot of Michael Ryder. Mm-hmm. And that's just because he's going to be this third line scoring winger um, that, you know, you, you signed for pretty cheap money for relative to what you're getting. So I, most people like it. I think it's a good signing. And uh, yeah, it should be exciting to see what he ends up doing. Yeah, if he has that clutch factor that Michael Ryder had, remember that save he made against Montreal oh, yes. in 2011. Also scored a, a couple of goals, I think, in the Cup Finals. I remember he had one of the eight goals that went past Luongo. In that weird wrist three. shot that went under Luongo's yep. glove. I remember. Yep, that's it was the like one. Hit, he had a wicked wrist shot. Michael yeah. Ryder did. Yeah, he sure did. Um, and. I, 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 too, like that Smith signing. I think Bruins fans need to kind of keep into account how good of a value that signing is, even though they didn't end up getting a like big fish like Foley or Hall that they were looking for. I mean, I don't think anyone can complain when Taylor Hall voluntarily signed a one-year deal up in <laughs> Buffalo. I said this yesterday. I was like, and granted, he got drafted by Edmonton and got traded to New Jersey and Arizona, but has a, a human being ever willingly lived in Edmonton, Buffalo, New, New Jersey and Arizona, like in an entire lifespan. I feel like that just has never happened yeah. in human history, but he yeah. was the first one to maybe do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, there's, it's clearly for Buffalo They're They've had, they have their own issues to deal with, with Jack Eichel being unhappy. And maybe they're hoping that the addition of Hall is going to somehow jumpstart this Sabres team into finally making the playoffs for the first time in a decade. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that works out. And obviously Hall will look for that contract in the off season to try to get maybe something long-term with better money when things kind of pick up. One last team I want to mention before we, uh, before we finish off, uh, the New York Rangers had a great off season, not just because of free agency, but with uh, Alexis Lafreniere getting drafted first overall. Um, the Rangers came into that draft already with a pretty good uh, – pretty good farm system with a lot of guys, including Capo Caco who went second overall draft before that. Do you expect them to take that leap forward or do you think they're still a year or two away from being contenders in that metropolitan division? I think they're contenders. I mean, I, I think they'll, they'll fight for a good, a solid playoff spot this upcoming season. I think they will be sort of in the mix and end up getting a lower seed, but they will be in the playoffs. I think, as you said, I think they're going to be cup like true Stanley cup contenders two to three years down the line. Um, and also that could come a lot quicker or it could be a lot later. I mean, you, you, a lot of these young guys, it's hard to predict. You can, you do, you can pencil in Artemi Panarin for a really good season next year. Um, I think the other thing that, and this, I was, you know what? I'm going to go on record as saying this. I was disappointed in the Rangers draft performance um, this year. And here is why uh, you have the number one overall pick. Uh, in the draft, Alex, and, and you're going to get Alexis Lafreniere, who is probably the most sought-after talent since McDavid. And before that, uh, Crosby maybe. I mean, this, yeah. like, this kid's actually projected to be a generational-type player. And I'm so happy he's in New York City 
and not some, you know, crap market. You know, he's not in Winnipeg. Minnesota. He's not in Minnesota. Like, which I think Minnesota could have actually used the yeah, number definitely. one overall pick. Like, they, they were a team that actually, like, deserved to have a number one pick. And they and I think it's great to have hockey be big in Minnesota. But I would also just rather a player like this be in a, you know, huge United States market. Yep. Um, but I was so disappointed because you have that pick and you don't go get Jack Eichel. Now, granted, 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 you would have had to give up a lot more. Future first, Adam Fox. Like, you would have had to give up everything for a guy like Jack Eichel. But I, I you have enough prospects to still have a core. You'd have Eichel, you'd have Panarin. Um, you'd, you maybe have Capo Caco if you could retain him. Um, you wouldn't have Lafreniere. You might not have Adam Fox, but, you know, uh, you would have, you know, maybe not Keandre Miller. You have to, you know, you'd probably, ideally, you'd probably be like Lafreniere, a future first, and like two prospects or something. Like Buffalo would get a haul. Buffalo would be mm-hmm. smart to make this deal. But to have Eichel be in New York City and to have him be with Panarin and to have him be with the team that's there and, and maybe add some guys, you know, cut off some bad money, you know, sign a guy or two. That would have just been so exciting. I think it would have been so good. Now, they're, I think they just genuinely, genuinely believe in what they're doing, um, and they have a plan. I don't think Eichel's a part of it. Uh, but I just would have loved, and, they, and I think they had the best shot at trading for a guy like Eichel, even though Buffalo says that they're not intending to trade him. But you know when that stuff gets out there and that gets tweeted, obviously maybe they're not thinking about it now, but it's, it's coming in the future because you know that's bound to happen. He, Eichel's going to get traded at some point. Right, and – and you look at the past number one overall picks, sure, the, all the names you look at, almost all of them end up being really good players. But for every, you know, every, uh, every, I'm sorry, I'm just having a mind blank, but every Connor McDavid, there's not, there's not a Yakupov, so you never know. <laughs> Yakupov, the best. Yeah. The best one. I mean, also Jack Hughes, like last year, Jack Hughes, I think Jack Hughes was not ready for the NHL. I think he's, I think he's going to be a solid NHL player. I, I, I have my doubts about him being a superstar. I think he's going to be a serviceable, solid NHL centerman. Um, but I, I do think that he was not particularly ready for the NHL. I loved all the people who were like, oh my God, the Devils are going to be, you know, Stanley Cup favorites next, going into the next, going into last season because they had, you know, P.K. Subban and um, they had, um, oh my God, uh, Nikita Gusev. Yep. And they had all these guys like, oh, maybe. And, and obviously it just kind of goes to, goes to crap. But, um, you're right. I mean, having a number one overall pick, there's no bigger trade chip. And I just would have loved, from a chaos perspective, would have loved to see them go out and get Jack Eichel. But yeah, it would have been they, still, they have a plan, and they have a good farm system, and, and I think they're going to be Stanley Cup contenders for a long time. But I just would have liked to have seen them get Eichel. Yeah, Twitter would have melted down, I think, if that trade ended oh, up in place. Yes. Yes. And I don't think that's – I think that's a trade. If, if it was Eichel for Lafreniere, a future first – and like Keandre Miller and Adam Fox, like I do think that is a deal that both sides yeah. benefit from. Yeah, like I don't yeah. think that's a bad deal for either side. No, it it, it gives a ton of uh, upside to the future for Buffalo if they end up making that deal. And uh, now, obviously, this alters whether Taylor Hall signs with Buffalo. I think I don't think he ends up signing with Buffalo. If oh no, 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 no! I think Eichel. he signed. I think he signed with Buffalo. I think I, Hall signed with Buffalo for Jack Eichel. Yes. I think he signed basically to just up his point total to get a better contract next offseason. I also think Buffalo did this also for Jack Eichel because I think Eichel is kind of annoyed with how things are going. And they're like, hey, look, we're committed to getting you a 
definite number one left wing here is Taylor Hall. And I think that's sort of what they're doing in this situation. They still, Linus Olmark's good. I don't think he's a Stanley Cup contending goalie. And they're still really not good on the back end. So, um, as I like to say, they're sort of a Walmart version of the Toronto Maple Leafs mm. in the sense that they have a lot of firepower up front, not a lot on defense, and mm, ish, you know, meh in net. So we'll see how it pans out, but it should be at least fun to watch Hall and Eichel play together. And the sad part is they made it equally as far as the Maple Leafs did last year in the playoffs with that yes. team, and that's without uh, Lafreniere and, you know, a, another year from the, some of these young players. So uh, we'll see if they end up doing what the Maple Leafs have been trying to do for the last several years, and that is to make a deep playoff runner. How about just make it the second round for once? That might be yes. a, a good start. Uh, but it, it's going to be an interesting NHL season whenever it starts, how it's going to look, whether they end up trying to get the full 80, 81, 82 games, right? Yeah, 82 games. Uh, 82, I yeah. doubt they do it, and they shouldn't do it because 82 games in the span of no. like four months would be like an MLB-like schedule, and you no, can't I, do that with hockey. I, I, I think I – think, cutting it off wherever it might be maybe 60 games or something like that letting it run a little bit I further say like do what they did like in 2012 uh, yeah. 13 do like 48 games and just yeah. leave it at that and just you know that's perfect so i think that would honestly kind of be the better option but they want their revenue i mean they're 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 out of revenue right or so, not out of revenue but they're definitely losing a lot of revenue so should be interesting to see what they end up doing with the nhl and they have at least a few more months of this offseason. Still some, a couple of names out there that haven't signed yet. Maybe some trades that will take place. But as of right now, look, we're starting to see these rosters take shape for the 2021, I guess we'll call it, season, whenever it ends up starting. I uh, just want to thank Evan for coming on. Evan Marinovsky, again, if you haven't checked out his uh, Twitter page or checked out what he's done on CLNS, some pretty amazing stuff with, uh, with CLNS Media covering Boston Bruins. So would highly recommend following him and keeping track or getting your Bruins coverage from Evan himself. So thank you for coming on the show, Evan. Of course. I'm happy to do this. Hopefully next time we do this, we're in the studio, but correct. It's going to happen. Absolutely. So <laughs> there's been a, another edition of the UMass hockey hour. Be sure to tune in next Thursday morning at the same time at 11 for hopefully some more hockey East news and maybe a concrete schedule by then. But I've been saying that for about three weeks now. So hopefully, you know, third time's charm. Thanks for tuning in everybody and stay safe in these tough times.